0: KYW Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We are walking you through the flames this week after the heartbreaking photo of a migrant father and his two year old daughter who died trying to cross the U.S. Mexican border goes viral. The alarm on immigration is sounded. This is
1: not legitimate.
2: Does asylum law exist in our in of, ours? Of course, act. but okay. it's a narrow procedure. Wait a minute.
0: Threats of raids and deplorable conditions in detention centers push lawmakers to act. There's 800,000 cases right now. But will it fix the problem? Is Pride Month... A New Jersey political hopeful is
3: looking to break barriers. I want to bring my life experiences to my race because my children need it.
0: If elected, she'll become the first of her kind lawmaker. We'll tell you how coming up. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is immigration. President Donald Trump postponed raids planned in 10 cities to force Congress to deal with the crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border. The political posturing sparked protests in Philadelphia.
2: No.
0: No. 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 On Thursday, the U.S. House passed a 46 billion dollar border aid bill after a photo of a father and baby girl who died trying to cross the border went viral. So what is really happening and what should and could be done? With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Miguel Andrade. He is a spokesman for Juntos, a grassroots immigration rights group based in South Philadelphia. We also have Dean Malik. He's an attorney who is a staunch constitutional conservative and radio talk show host. We have Philip Weiss, an attorney with Highest Pennsylvania. And finally, on the phone, we have Kerry Kennedy of the American Friends Services Committee. She just spent some time at the U.S.-Mexico border. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. We have a lot going on with immigration this week. Philip, I want to start with you. There's a lot of competing issues.
2: What are the biggest things as you see it? It's actually really simple. It's a question of law and humanity. The law has existed for several years allowing individuals apply for asylum, and there's a process. There's been a process, and that's always been in place. The crisis created by this administration is leading to the deaths at the border. If the, if the president would simply follow the law, we would not see pictures of fathers and children dying at the border.
0: Yeah, and, and Dean, I want you to respond to that. What? How do you? If you were to boil it down to the the issues, what are they?
2: Right.
1: Well, first of all, I
2: strongly disagree with
1: the characterization that it is President Trump who is causing these deaths. There were almost 800 deaths of people attempting to immigrate illegally to this country under the Obama administration. The reality is that people are coming here illegally because they know that there are people in this country who are giving them incentive to do so. We would not have people dying in the Rio Grande River coming across illegally. If everybody knew that you had to come here legally and there were no exceptions, it is a question of the rule of law. It's a question of what is sovereignty. We have to fight for the sovereignty of this country. It's not inhumane to insist that people who come to this country do so by following the legal procedures there yeah. is a procedure for for obtaining yeah. asylum but it is not to come through the border illegally
4: that's absolutely incorrect one of the ways that people can apply for asylum is by presenting themselves at a port of entry which is what people are doing I think the other thing to to take into account is sort of like the how convoluted the immigration process is and I know this myself because I am an immigrant it took me over 20 years to be able to gain my citizen my residency here in this country my mother over 20 years to get her citizenship we need to look at the root causes of why people are migrating and nobody ever wakes up and and says, I'm going to uproot my entire family for no reason, right? People are dying. People are feeding, fleeing violence. If you are, like, in that situation, you're not going to wait over 20 years and pay thousands and thousands of dollars. You're going to, like, make that trip and present yourself, which is the way that a lot of people have been doing And it. it is one of the legal ways to apply for asylum. But yeah. You cannot just talk about this as just a border at the crisis without looking at the root causes of why people are doing this.
0: And Carrie, I know that there's a lot of people presenting themselves and it poses issues at the border. You were just there near Tijuana. Tell us what you saw. I was there in March
5: and I saw about 10 shelters who were struggling to care for over a thousand people that were there waiting for their asylum procedures everybody that I met in the shelter were, were going through a legal process of asylum. They went to the United States. They presented themselves. They were then sent back to Mexico. And what's different today is this remain in Mexico policy. So they were sent back to Mexico to wait for their asylum procedure with very little information. They don't know if they're going to be there for months, for years. They don't have access to lawyers because the lawyers are in the United States. And the shelters are completely over capacity. So it's not safe. They they don't have the care that they need and they don't have legal support. And I was there in March. The numbers today is 15,000 people waiting in the three ports of entry that are deemed remain in Mexico or migration, uh, the MPP process. So this is new. This is not safe. It increases vulnerabilities of people that are already vulnerable and it's, it's concerning.
0: You got these large uh, swaths of people staying in these um, shelters. The Remain in Mexico policy was also a policy under the Obama administration. This isn't like new, but it's, it's sort of being enforced now. Some people say, though... Philip, this is a more humane way than trying to put people in detention centers or let folks come into the United States without having a decision made on their case. Your response to that?
5: The difference is that Mexico is not deemed a third-safe country. Canada is a third-safe country. Mexico has not been cleared as a third-safe country, which means they don't have the infrastructure and the resources to keep people who are applying for asylum safe. So when I was there in March, you know, there were families in tents in cold hangars living next to each other, children, you know, five children in one little tent with a very thin blanket being operated by super caring, dedicated civil servants who are doing the best that they could, but they do not have the space, the yeah. resources to, to handle that. There's 800,000 cases right now pending asylum procedure, and that doesn't count the 15,000 that are stuck in Mexico with the Remain in Mexico policy since January. So, you know, we have almost 900,000 people that are awaiting pro- the process of asylum, which could take months to years.
0: What do you do with all these people? It's, exp- it's costing billions and billions. You can't put people in detention centers. What but do you can- do? And I want to ask yeah. Philippe
2: this. I want you. To- what do you do? We have a process for this. The individuals who lawfully present themselves at the border seeking asylum indicate so. OK, immigration reviews their application to determine whether or not there's a credible fear. Under the laws, they are paroled into the United States where they have the right to pursue their application for asylum before the courts and let the courts adjudicate it. We would not be spending billions of dollars by you know increasing detention. The people are allowed to enter the United States and, and defend their case like that and then let the courts decide.
0: So basically what you're saying is just let everybody – to just be able to come into the United States and be on parole with federal monitoring, right, a lot of times? Exactly. That's That's just
1: absolute nonsense. I, too, am a son of immigrants. My father came to this country in 1953 from Pakistan. He came here legally. He's a person of color. This has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with having wealth. It has to do with the rule of law. Now, when you're talking about this number of people who are coming here in a caravan, they're coming up through the entirety of Mexico because they must come to the United States. This is not legitimate. This is subterfuge, and this is designed to break down our immigration so, laws.
2: So does asylum law exist in, our, in no, ours? Of course, oh, but okay. it's
1: a narrow procedure. Wait a minute. No, no, wait no, a minute. no. It's just a no, simple question. You, you don't interrupt me, and I don't interrupt you, okay? This is a subterfuge being used to break down our immigration laws. This number of people asking for asylum, are they truly in that type of threat, or are they seeking the economic opportunities of this country? That's fine. You can emigrate, emigrate here for those opportunities.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I want to and I want to ask you, Miguel, because people have asked this. They said that, you know, people come to this, present themselves at the border. A lot of these countries are dangerous. Mm. But does everybody get to come to the United States? People from all over the world want to come to the United States because of safety. If you're afraid of your husband, you're afraid of your employer, you're afraid of a gang member. Should you just automatically be allowed to come here and have your case adjudicated and possibly disappear in the U.S.?
4: First of all, we have sold the idea of the American dream nationwide, which is why so many people actually want to immigrate to this country. But again, immigration law is there for a reason. I'm not going to say that the immigration system in this country isn't broken and it's backlogged because it is. And that is one of the reasons that we're having this crisis right now. Applying for asylum is the right that people have. And it's up to the courts to decide whether, you know, once you pass the credible fear interview, if that claim is right or not. If we want to be truly respective of like the foundation of this country, of people wanting to, you know, the pursuit of life and happiness and liberty, that is what this country is about. It's about accepting yeah. people who are going through tough times and opening their doors for them.
0: Carrie, when you were down there, did you see that these stories, there's a refugee crisis all over the world?
5: I will say, though, the amount of violence that were faced by the people who were part of the caravans was really striking. So I was in both in Mexico City and in Tijuana, And I met mother after mother who made decisions to travel, you know, with half a day's notice because I met one mother, uh, Maria, whose young son, who was around 10, was shot by gang violence. She had three other children under the age of five, and she did not see that, that they would live to adulthood if she stayed in the country in which she was at. So she made the decision with four hours' notice to join this caravan because she wanted to give them the chance of a life without violence. And I'm a mother. I have two young children. I can't fathom for one second what my life must be like to make a decision to flee from my home with little more than a backpack in four hours. So this is not just people looking for better opportunity. Of Mm. course, there's some deep economic injustice in Central America that causes some people to flee, but most of the people we're engaging with are people who are escaping threats to their lives, deep violence. Tijuana is one of the top fifth violent cities in the world. How can it be deemed a 3rd safe country? How could it be a city that's uh, protecting the most vulnerable who are escaping violence to try to come into the United States? And, yeah. you know, we've had this precedent since 1951. Mm. It, you know, it might not be perfect, but our asylum process works.
0: I recently traveled to Israel and people talked about there were limits on the number of refugees people could take from uh, many countries. Are there limits? Can America really take all these folks? We're talking about 900,000 people,
2: Philippe. We are buying hook, line and sinker this idea that we are kind of under attack or something
6: like mm-hmm. that.
2: That's simply not true. We, along with all the other Western countries, are facing the most dramatic human rights crisis of, of refugees we're not around the, only the world. Ones. And we are not. Lots the o- of we Western are, countries are. We are, are yeah. not the only one to say that we are under you know some sort of you know crisis or what have you. Everyone's attacking us or something like that. It's just a mirage that is being created by this administration. And yeah, I would all, like
5: to second that. I mean, if you look at Jordan, Jordan, twenty percent right. of their population right now is Syrian refugees and Iraqi refugees and Palestinian refugees, and they still have a vibrant social fabric. We can certainly absorb the amount number of migrants that are seeking asylum. And, you know, perhaps it takes them looking at a a different value based budgeting process and reallocating some budget. But this is not a threat to the fabric of our country.
1: I, I think that's what it comes down to. When you said reallocating, it comes down to a question of redistribution Do the majority of Americans really wish for that to be The situation i believe in the american dream but the american dream begins with coming here lawfully applying to become a citizen and applying for asylum should not be a substitution for lawful immigration there are many people even in america who live in bad neighborhoods who face violence but just because you don't have a great life in another country does not mean that you can bypass immigration law and come here i think we have a lot of problems in this country that need to be solved we do have homeless people. We do have poor people. We have people who don't have the access to the best education possible. We have to focus on American citizens first, put Americans first, and we have to have, be very stringent on how, who we accept as a refugee as opposed to an immigrant. And we have to insist upon the rule of law.
0: Yeah, and Miguel, please I mean I think it's, that, a yeah. bit,
4: it's a little bit dangerous when you start – Putting qualifications as to like who is eligible to become a refugee, right? Like people are fleeing for reasons, right? I think to echo Carrie's point, I think it is about the redistribution of resources here in this country. There's more than enough wealth in our country to be able to support everybody here, but it's being concentrated in the wrong places and we need to be able to talk about that. Most
1: Americans do not believe in redistribution of wealth for immigrants or refugees. I'm not just talking about,
4: I'm not just talking about for immigrants. I'm talking about for everybody in this country. Let's stop spending so much money on wars and incarceration. Operation. You're
1: talking to a military yeah. veteran here. I served yeah. in Iraq and, I yeah. take and, and, and I'm i
0: going to shift gears here because one of the things that we need to talk about is detention centers because and Kerry talked about this issue at the border. Part of what folks were doing was separating families, which has been a policy. Mm-hmm. We're not just drink, blaming Trump. This has been a policy under the prior administration as well. But what, at the same time, these detention centers, we've heard of some of the conditions here. Kerry, did you have any experience with that? And, and can you all comment on that? Are there uh, standards that are supposed to be in place. Yeah, go right ahead. Certainly
5: standards. I I run our international program. We have uh, staff that are trying to increase the standards at the Homestead Center. So we're putting a lot of our AFC is putting a lot of attention there. I will say that there is precedent that especially children, when they enter in the United States, if they're separated from their family, most of the children who come here have a relative that they could be released to or a sponsor. So what is different in this case in this year is that they are being held in detention centers rather than being released, which is cheaper, it's uh, it, it's safer for children, it's more kind, it is more ethical. And people who actually flee that system is very small. So um, it does seem like the separation, the cruelness, the lack of support and services, basic commodities like beds and toothpaste and even hugs to children is meant to deter people from their protected right to apply for asylum. Yeah. Is
0: this leading? Because we heard about sexual assaults in some of these detention centers. We've heard about the kids laying on concrete with these aluminum blankets, horrific conditions. What kind of liability does this put on the U.S. for these kids?
1: We have to take care of kids, of course. And if there's a problem and they're not being treated humanely, we should be honest about it and we should figure out a way to have them treated humanely. If there's a better way to resolve the situation with children at the border, we ought to do it, regardless of how we feel about enforcement. It's not about being cruel. People are arguing that enforcement of our immigration laws is tantamount to cruelty and spite and venom towards people who want to come to this country, and it's not. The purpose of our immigration laws is to provide an orderly system that allows people to come into this country and ultimately become citizens and productive members of our society. If we have children who are not experiencing humane treatment, that needs to be addressed. I've seen some pictures out there, and and I've seen that they were actually – the t- date stamp on them was eliminated, but they actually go back to during the Obama, Obama administration. So perhaps it's a systemic problem that goes deeper. Yeah. But regardless, it should be dealt with. And we course. don't
0: want children who are traumatized because that, that's – you're going to have to fix that issue once the kids are traumatized. And I want to switch gears and go to uh, you, Miguel and Philippe, because on the home front – there were threats of raids recently. 10 cities. Philadelphia wasn't among those cities, but Miguel, you there was a major protest this week to deal with that issue what is happening with the immigrant families that are here when you hear threats of raids?
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I think, it's, and again, to like just reiterate what has been said throughout the program, this is nothing new. Like the threats of deportation and raids have been happening even under the Obama administration. Many of us in the city of Philadelphia have been actively demonstrating against them. But I think what is new is sort of the, the intensity and, and the the targeted uh, the specificness of a lot of these threats. Right. When you hear the president talking about the crisis at the border and, and the crisis of migration, he's talking about a very specific group of people. He's talking about people who are immigrants of color specifically. And what's coming out of this administration's mouth right now, I I can only say it's like terrorizing immigrant communities across the country. Like our phone lines at Juntos blew up the moment that that tweet went out because people were genuinely afraid and terrified that they were going to be rounded up out in the middle of nowhere.
0: Uh, The president... Halted it. Got a call from, the, you know, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. He said two weeks. Y'all come up with a deal. And it seems to be working.
1: Yes. I mean, that's the whole point. He's drawing attention to the problem. We have to secure the border
4: but is it really worth it at the at, on the backs of like terrorizing an entire community like the fact that like we're playing a political game of football with the lives and and prosperity of so many people like you can't honestly say that that's right just because it worked
0: and Carrie you can jump in here because i mean it it could get border aid i heard Billions, a few billion dollars could possibly be coming to the U.S. border if this deal passes and it, and it gets through.
5: So I haven't read the details of what the, what was just passed. So I can't comment. Border 8, you know, humanitarian support is good. I will say, though, with the change in our processes and our, our procedures, what is happening is that you're seeing increased militarization of the border, not just the U.S. and Mexico, but it's also being pushed down between Guatemala and Mexico, which further uh, creates fear and, and, and could exacerbate violence within Mexico on the Guatemala border. So we're, uh, exporting, uh, we're, we're, we're exporting militarism in a way that um, is repressing the rights of people to apply for asylum and, and it might not Create conditions where everybody is safe and secure.
4: And, uh, so that's and, what
5: we're monitoring and watching.
4: Yeah. And just to add on, like we're only talking about enforcement and and, and security on the southern border, right? Like if you want to talk about a, a border crisis and and border security. Why is it that we're only talking about the southern border? Are we not afraid of like immigrants coming from the north and and, and Canada? Like that that. Again, there is an underlying issue of racism that is embedded in this entire debate. I would have to
1: disagree with that. That's the issue that you're superimposing upon How? the rule of How? law. How? How? Just, just because immigrants happen to be coming from the southern border and that is where we have the largest influx of people who are trying to come here legally or illegally and apply for asylum and flood our borders does not mean that it's a racist motive.
4: But are we, are are we, are we listen, announcing correlation race? Correlation does
1: not equal causation. It doesn't. And that's not the situation. You're laughing, but it doesn't. It's unfortunate that Mexico Mexico does not have a strong, vibrant economy, and it doesn't have a great democracy. But that is Mexico. The world consists of sovereign nations, and nations have the right to enforce their immigration laws, and they have the right to have borders.
0: And I want to, you know, shift because yesterday, this week, we heard from presidential candidates, and President Donald Trump made this issue of immigration his top issue when he ran for his presidency. Is it becoming? Has it become? We heard people speaking in Spanish uh, during uh the presidential the the democratic uh debates with a bad this, accent, with, we won't even go into the <laughs> accents. I don't even want to talk about it.
4: I will agree with you. I've heard that. <laughs>
0: I've heard that. I don't even speak Spanish fluently, but I can tell you, I've heard better Spanish. But I will say, is it going to be? Is this is this fast becoming because of this fame crisis? According to you, Philippe, is it going to be the, the biggest issue in twenty twenty now?
2: It was the biggest issue in in the prior elections as well. Okay, and the truth of the matter is, you know, we've been facing an immigration crisis for the last forty years mm-hmm. when our country has not come to terms with the people within our midst our neighbors and our community members and what this president has very skillfully done is you know what individuals have done in the past is create false divisions okay and that is simply what is happening here and it's like wait a second it's you know the ones who are here we're okay the old immigrants are okay but wait a second those people are coming to steal your jobs and that simply is a false narrative that wins and we need to get away from that. And, so, and it goes back to the point made earlier about redistribution. The redistribution is not between new immigrants and those, immigra- the, those individuals with homeless children who are suffering here in the United States. That is not – that's a false narrative. The redistribution is the billions of dollars that is spent on detention. So, yes, money will be taken away. Yeah. It will be taken away from companies that are, mm-hmm. that are earning their money on the backs of brown and black individuals. And that That's is an really extraordinary
1: left-wing argument there that I don't think most Americans would buy at all.
2: Okay, but it's the truth, so.
0: Yeah. I'd like it, to well, agree
1: with you, but we'd both be wrong.
0: And I want to say, Carrie, if there were more money coming down to the border, where would, it, where would it be most efficiently used if you were to make that argument?
5: I would like to see more humanitarian support. I would like to see aid going to Mexico to support their capacity to keep people safe. I would like us to be addressing root causes of violence and to understand uh, why there is deep economic uh, disparity in Central America. I'd want to understand why our policies, how our trade policies affected Central American countries. So I'd want analysis. I'd want humanitarian support. I'd want less military presence. I don't think that's creating an environment of shared security yeah. for all people. So I would really like some more resources into adhering to the precedents that we, the legal Precedences that have been around for seventy years.
0: Yeah, and Dean, did you want to have before we go to our final question any any response to well, all of this? Yeah.
1: If if you talk about going back seventy years, immigration was very restrictive seventy years ago. So if the if your other guest wants to talk about that, I don't think she wants to go back seventy years. We have a policy now that allows people to come here lawfully as long as they come here in good faith with the desire to become Americans, and they do it legally. We should enforce the laws that are on the books. If we have problems with children at the border, we should resolve those problems, come together. It's not about conservative versus liberal. It's about doing the right thing. But ultimately, we need to enforce the rule of law in this country.
0: All right, because this is Flashpoint, we do have to wrap this up. Even if Congress gets aid to the border, does it fix the problem? And if not, is it the first step to bringing the unity that we need to finally? create comprehensive immigration reform. And Miguel, we'll start with you. Then we'll go to Carrie, Philippe, and we'll end with you, Dean. We'll, we'll give you the last word here.
4: In terms of like providing more funding and stuff, we are going to spend funds – and get more funds to the border. I think we do need to talk about more humanitarian aid and address the the crisis that is happening at the border right now. Will it be will it fix the entire system? No. It's backlogged. It, it it's not working and it needs to be revamped and looked at. The way that it, it is right now, it is imp- it is almost impossible. So when everybody talks about migrating here the legal way, do it the right way, do it the right way. Like not not many people actually know what that actually looks like. Again, I personally went through this entire process. Yeah. It took over 20 years. And where people are being in crisis, That is not a solution. So we need to address the entire system.
0: And Carrie, you know, if we get the aid to the border, does it fix the problem? If not, does it bring the unity we need to get comprehensive immigration reform?
5: No, I don't think so. I mean, I really think we have to address the root cause of violence and uh, and economics in Latin America. And as their neighbor, we have to look at our role in that trade policies. I think we have to look at. Uh, the effect of climate on, on uh, farmland, you know, the effect of violence. Why is there so much violence? So there is a lot of work that needs to be done. I will say at a minimum, I would love to see humanitarian support, especially for those children and mothers who are waiting for months yep. and years mm. to have their cases heard.
2: If we believe that we are, in fact, of a country of, followed by a rule of law, then let's have this administration follow that law. And if they do not, they disagree with the asylum law, they need to go through Congress. Because as we all know, it's not the president who writes the laws.
1: Final word, Dean. The United States of America is a sovereign nation. The first obligation of the president and of this country is to protect its citizens and put its citizens first. People should come here legally if they have a desire to become American citizens. Let's actually enforce, as the other guests said, the rule of law. But the rule of law puts American citizens first and the paradigm of legal immigration first.
0: All right. I want to say thank you to Miguel Andrade, uh, Philippe. Philip Weitz, Dean Malik, and Kerry Kennedy for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. I appreciate you guys.
2: Thank you.
1: Thanks
4: for having me.
0: Thank you. Next up, if elected, she could be the first of a kind Republican in New Jersey. I want to bring my life experiences to my race because my children need it. How a Trenton resident is blazing LGBT trails. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, this is Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. First, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Flashpoint podcast. Welcome to the Flashpoint family. Would you do me a favor? Would you log on to the Radio.com app, Apple podcast app, or whatever podcast platform that you use and subscribe to Flashpoint? All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW and let's get to it. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one thing that gets folks in our region hot under the collar is lack of representation. And one woman is stepping up to the plate to make sure that all are represented. A Trenton native and resident, Jennifer Williams, is running unopposed for the Republican nomination for the New Jersey State Assembly in the 15th Legislative District, if elected in November. She becomes the first openly transgender legislator in New Jersey and the first openly transgender a Republican in the country. Jennifer, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. I'm glad to have you on the show, and I want to jump right in. Why did you decide to be a part of this political race in your home city?
3: I have two children, and one of them's about to enter high school, and we have gotten to the point in New Jersey with cost of living, taxes, home prices, you name it. That i really not being able to imagine my children going off to college and then coming back home to build their lives, their careers, uh, their own families here in New Jersey, just like I did. And that was, you know, back in the 80s. It's not that long ago. And I'm kind of worried that if I don't get involved and I just sit on the sidelines, that'll never get better. Uh, These these problems that we're facing fiscally, uh, socially here in New Jersey, they predate the current administration but they've never been fixed. And I think by bringing a fresh voice, a new voice, an urban voice, particularly coming from the Republican side of the aisle, is really important. Because particularly in New Jersey, if you, have, if you are from an urban area, whether it's mm. Trenton, Camden, Newark, Irvington, et cetera, uh, we usually have our votes in one party, and it's not spread across both. And the only way to get solutions to really get permanent Uh, fixes the things and i think to build coalitions and gets everybody rowing the same boat is by having people in both parties and i'm hoping to be a part of that now your district
0: has had you know has been a democratic uh, stronghold have you always been
3: a republican and why that party i've been a republican since i first could vote uh my folks were democrats actually kennedy roosevelt democrats (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) who grew up in philly Uh, but I uh, saw what Ronald Reagan did uh, with the economy, particularly in foreign policy. Those are my two big areas. Uh, My family have five older brothers who served in the military. So what's going on in our outside world in America's place has always been important, but it really influenced me in the ideas of if you work very hard, you do play by the rules, you have a positive vision, and you Really try to go out and meet other people and work with them. Meet them where they're at and find your commonalities. We can make the world better. We can make America a stronger place. But everybody, I think, has that feeling when they look at the flag. Hopefully, it's a positive feeling. Yeah. And for me, I want to bring my life experiences, everything I've done, to my race because my children need it. Um, the idea that everyone in New Jersey needs to have an exit plan and move to places like Texas or South Carolina, or a lot of folks actually are moving across the river to Pennsylvania because it's less expensive. That's just going to hurt our state.
0: Yeah, and I got to ask you, uh, do you support some of the policies that this administration, the Trump administration, has had with regard to transgender individuals, specifically with regard to transgender individuals in the military? You have military family.
3: Uh, Heck no. (laughs) I have been actually a very strong critic, and I've been an advocate and an activist nationally on these issues and trying to work primarily on uh, conservatives and Republicans and changing their hearts and their minds regarding transgender people, regarding all LGBTQ people. And we've been able to have some positive effect, but the actions the administration is taking, and even some of their uh, appointees like Ben Carson, uh, Betsy DeVos, have been terrible. Rescinding guidance versus school children. Of course, the ban, which was done disrespectfully by tweet. I'm fighting against that every day, and I'm hopefully with my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, we will be able to make a lot more positive change happening um, with this coming presidential election. We have to meet more people and be able to show them, hey, we're Americans just like you. We're taxpayers just like you. We're the person sitting on an airplane uh, when you're flying somewhere. We're teaching in your schools. When you're in a room and people are like you with your shared experiences, and you may come from all different places of society, but you have commonalities. If you can find that then we can go into our rest of our communities. We have to keep our eyes on the prize and really work together for that final idea, which is we are all equal Americans.
0: Gender doesn't matter. I don't believe that gender matters, you know, when people decide to run for political office. Has the issue come up because you're you're going to be checking boxes as a first?
3: That hasn't come up yet. I have gotten more attention uh, so far for being transgender and being the first versus some policy, but what I have noticed is, okay, the reporters or who I talk to, they may be more interested in that, but I'm also able to mix in ideas about, well, what can we do about our budget? What can we do about taxes and our pensions? I hope to get into a discussion about gun violence and things that could be going on in the city to reduce poverty, because I live in a city that has a lot of poverty and a lot of uh, issues. Being a woman but also being LGBTQ, I have noticed that people, they want to know, they're curious, but they don't know how to ask. So I'm hoping by being a serious candidate, by discussing policy, I can make them comfortable And then if that opens up the door for a bigger discussion about LGBTQ freedom and liberty and equality, that would be great.
0: And I want to ask you, because there's a, as you mentioned, there's a lot of poverty. People of color have complained that some of the policing, Do you think because you are transgender, that maybe you can sort of. Uh, build bridges with communities that may have felt some kind of persecution or unfairness?
3: I certainly hope to do that, and I want to do that because, yes, as someone who's transgender, I may be Caucasian, but I have a lot to worry about if I get pulled up by a police officer, Mm. Uh, particularly for and even for transgender women of color. uh, The murder rate in our country, the rate of violence, uh, we have a lot of situations where transgender people of one a gender they identify with or put into the opposite gender, which is very, very dangerous. What I would like to do is be able to be that bridge to discuss these issues, because there are a lot of police officers out there who are doing a great job and want to serve and protect our community. But as I think we've all seen, there are more than a few occasions when they aren't doing their job and things go awry. And just because they're protecting us um, in our neighborhoods, and I know in Trenton where I've been, I've gone to sit-outs where... You know, God bless the grandmothers who still own their houses, but they're afraid to walk a half a block or a block to the bodega. We have to get to a place where the community feels very comfortable with the police coming in. I don't believe in military-style policing with uh, one of, you know, some of the proposals with armored personnel carriers, practically, uh, coming in and patrolling neighborhoods. But I think we also need to start breaking down the walls of understanding and misunderstanding. And when I say that is, what are the police's mission? Why are they coming into our neighborhoods? And the cars may say to serve and protect, but I think we need to start defining what the expectation of that is. Because, you know, we have right now, we have a gang war in Trenton, and this has been a perennial problem with different gangs going back to the Jamaican posse back in the early 1990s, and it's never been solved. Mm. But when you go to, uh, as I did, uh, a good while ago, but I went to a sit-out on Walnut Avenue, which is one of our toughest neighborhoods, Wilbur section in Trenton, and it would be myself, my wife, some other uh, folks from Trenton, some neighbors, all of us Caucasian, police department, and the fire department, but none of the neighbors uh, who are african American, except for one activist, Dion Clark, rest in peace, uh, would come out and join us in the sit-out. And I asked Dion, okay, why is that? And Point blank said, because stitches get stitches, and this is a quiet night for them. This is a gift we are giving them. Uh, but if they were to get off their porches and come stand with the police and the fire department, they would have problems as soon as we left. We can't solve the problem uh, alone. We have to solve it together. But we also have to create, I think, an environment where people feel comfortable coming to the police. They feel safe coming to the police. But they also need to feel that when the police come to their neighborhood and they come on a call that they're treated fairly. Yeah. They're also treated with the idea that, yeah, you're innocent and still proven guilty.
0: I got to interview Bab Sipperstein before she passed away. And oh, she was amazing. She was amazing. And New Jersey is now a leader in dealing with some of the issues of transgender equality. And do you think that the fact that New Jersey is a leader in this area is actually paving a way for you to be able to check off some of these boxes and become the first? And do all these things because of folks like like a Babs.
3: One hundred percent. I said this when I was uh, honored to speak at Babs Memorial Service earlier this year. Mm. She's the whole reason I got involved in politics, because I had learned about her and read what she did. And she's she's kind of like, in a way, the OG uh, transgender political uh, person in our country (laughs) and particularly New Jersey. She was the first delegate to the Democratic National Convention before that. Mm-hmm. Um, she paved a long road to be able to even get to that position. And she did that, I believe, in 2008. She was the first one. Well, in 2016, there were over 30 transgender people at the DNC convention in Philadelphia. Yeah. And when I found out that mm-hmm. my party had never had one at all. And- by 2016. I thought of her as I filled out my application online and submitted it. And I'm not going to kid you, I half suspected that once they knew I was transgender, it would get rejected. But my New Jersey GOP didn't. Uh, I even had a conversation with one of the organizers at the RNC, the Republican National Convention in Cleveland. I said, look, I'm transgender. You know, I'm here to talk about my community. I'm here to help advocate. But, you know, I wanted, I'm a Republican. And the guy just looked me in the eye and said, don't worry about it. We're from New Jersey. We don't care about that. You're here. Just have a good time. If so it wasn't for Babs, I wouldn't have done it.
0: So you felt that openness within the the, new, the Republican Party?
3: Very much so. But, but granted, like you were saying earlier, New Jersey is a very special place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very safe place. We have excellent, amongst the best in the country, if not the best, protections on discrimination. Uh, we do have some issues to worry about and to still take care of, like uh, gay panic defenses and transgender Panic defenses in uh, murder cases, but compared to places like Idaho, Arkansas, other states in our union, my life is Shangri-La. I, I live the life of Riley compared to a lot of transgender people.
0: And as we close out this interview, I just want you to give your uh, summary, your brief summary of the main things you plan to do if you are elected in November.
3: If I'm elected, I want to be a leader on several issues. One of them is actually here in Trent. We have a terrible problem with our waterworks system, but I want to help that. I want our state to get involved, but without selling the water system. The water system belongs to the people of Trenton. That's important. I'd also like to work on helping to get substance abuse treatment more available uh, around our state. And that's an incredibly important thing because that affects so many communities, all sectors of society. I think we need to find more balanced solutions on affordable housing, Uh, taxation, cost of living I spoke about, but one issue I also think we need to really talk about is criminal justice reforms and how they interlock with economic opportunities, like things like about uh, occupational licensing and reentry programs to have a chance to actually rebuild their lives. That's one of the things I've learned actually from being a transgender American. I had to start over in many ways. I had to rebuild a life and then thrive at my life. So my motto is survive and thrive, and I think we need to extend that to everyone.
0: Wonderful. And so I want to say thank you to you, Jennifer Williams, for, you know, be, um, being willing to step out there and to work hard to break barriers. And uh, I want to say good luck to you on your run uh, for the state assembly.
3: Folks want to find out more about my campaign, please visit jen for ld 15com And this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news.
0: Next up, a Bucks County woman who brings bundles of joy to seniors. Everywhere I go, no one ever says no. How her happy project is catching on. We'll be right back.
2: It's the smart look at the issues catching fire in
4: Philadelphia. Flashpoint. What we have is a crisis. This goes way beyond just the perpetrator. You
0: know how many times I had stopped people in front of my house from shooting up? It was a moment where black and
4: brown people on the margins got to say, no, we've been hurting.
2: I think we f- forget that you came from somewhere else, too. Host Cherry Gregg walks you through the flames on air Saturday evenings at 930 and Sunday mornings at 830. Or search the Flashpoint podcast on the Radio.com app.
0: This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to check out the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, the Apple Podcast app. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community, and one woman is enriching the lives of senior citizens through flowers and smiles. She's known as the flower lady, but she's also written 14 books. When does she sleep, y'all? Here to tell us more about the Happy Flowers Project is Patricia Gallagher. Patricia, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you, Cherry. So what is the Happy Flowers Project?
6: It's so many things, but I have to start out by saying it's a great way to start my day. I I feel happy every day, and even the days that I don't feel well, I just say, who needs cheer? And I pick up day-old flowers from different grocery stores. I call them in the morning and ask if they have anything, and then I just get on the road and I sort of say a prayer and say, God, who needs these flowers today? I might end up at the Olney Transportation Center, a Wawa parking lot, or a senior living community. Wow. And so you, you literally hand out these flowers to people who need cheering up. And they're bouquets, so not individual flowers. So just picture a beautiful spread of flowers you would see for nine ninety nine in a grocery store. And as of today, I've passed out 42,000 bouquets That would have been tossed by a grocery store. Amazing. And what has been the reaction as you hand off those flowers? It's mainly surprise. It's happiness. I hear so many things like, oh, can I have an extra one? I'm going to visit my mother in a nursing home. Oh, it's my anniversary. Oh, can I take one to someone that's sick? So I don't always give people one. I always say, is there somebody else that you're going to see today? And then I give them a few. And you do this all over
0: the region.
6: Yeah, I started out, I lived in Shelfon at the time, so I would go around the Lansdale area. And then with my mother, who was 87 at the time, and our friend Bob was 91. And on those days, we would take them around the Philadelphia area.
0: Yeah, and so you started this project several, about five years ago now. Mm-hmm. And what was
6: put in your heart to say, this is what I want to do? I think it was just divine providence. I wasn't looking for anything, but I was living with my mother And we went to a fundraiser that my daughter had. And after the fundraiser, they gave everybody bouquets. And I said, Kristen, where did you get these? And she told me the name of the store. And the next day, I went down and asked the store if my mother and I could do this in the morning. And they said you had to be a nonprofit. And we weren't. And I went back to my church and asked the minister. And she said, why don't you give a talk on Sunday about what you want to do? And they decided right away that I could be an outreach of the church but it was a loosely defined outreach because Mm. Bob was the co-minister and he was 91. So he wanted to come along with us as one of our flowering pals. So it was just an accidental thing that led to a lot of happiness for Bob and my mother for four years before they passed away. Wow. And you have continued that. I've continued it with my 94 year old neighbor who every morning she'll see my car starting up and she'll call my cell phone and say, are you going anywhere today? Are you going to do the flowers? And then sometimes I pick up my four-year-old granddaughter from daycare. And and then that's your crew. That's our crew. And I don't, I have to say, Terry, I don't want any more crew (laughs) because the few times that I've brought somebody with me, they'll go, oh, you're not going on the expressway, are you? Oh, you're not just going to get out of your car and just pass out flowers, are you? And that's exactly what I do in West Philadelphia, North Philadelphia, everywhere I go, No one ever says, no, I don't want flowers. A lot of people say, I don't have money, or how much are they? And I say they're free. People love getting the flowers, and we love giving them. So you're just a burst of joy wherever you go. I feel that I get a burst of joy from everybody else. You know, there's a few people in my family that say, why are you doing this, all your gas and all your time? I can't think of a better way to use my time and my gas than doing this.
0: Beautiful. And in addition to just bringing cheer through the
6: Happy Flower Project, uh, you also write books. I do. Always about the things that I'm going through. Um, I was raising kids, so I wrote a book, Raising Happy Kids on a Budget. I had owned a daycare center a million years ago before daycare was really in, so I wrote a book about how to open a daycare center. And then as different events happened in our family's life, I wrote about those things as well.
0: In one of your books, you talk about
6: collecting stuffed animals and bringing and giving those to people. That started um, when, one Christmas my mother said, why don't we go read was the night before Christmas to a nursing home? So we called the nursing home and brought a book and then we brought our own stuffed animals and gave them to people as a prop as we were reading the story. But then we went to take back our own stuffed animals. They didn't want to give them up. (laughs) So that night on, and how can you take them away? So that night on Facebook, I posted about what had happened And a friend had 200 stuffed animals left over from an event. And she gave us those. And we continued reading that story all through the season. And then I started posting on Craigslist. And we collected 11,000 stuffed animals. OMG. OMG. Not all at once. So I wrote a book telling people how to do that. And then another one, how to start a Happy Flower Day project. Because I think at this point, Cherry, I think I've done the flowering myself. I love it. But I think if I collected 42,000 in five or six years, if even one person from every state did that, that would be millions of flowers not going to waste that could bring cheer to other people.
0: Yeah. And so how does it make you feel when you see that a person's face, especially someone in a nursing home who may not get the visits, you know, but someone like you bursts in with a handful of flowers and cheer How does it make you feel when when they react in such a positive way?
6: It makes me feel really good, but it also, we burst in, I like that word, singing happy flower day to you to the tune of happy birthday. So Bob had his harmonica. He was a Yale graduate and a captain in World War II. So when we came in, my mother would be singing happy flower day to you. Bob would be playing the harmonica and it was a burst of blooms. It was a burst of smiles and everybody feels good. The staff gets the flowers, the people that are visiting get flowers, and everybody gets to witness the joy of free flowers for all.
0: So if people would like to support you and your effort to bring happiness, I mean, people forget how important just a burst of happiness and how it could change a day and even a life for someone who may be at a down point.
6: My daughter, I'm not much with technology, but she did a website for me called happyflowerday.org so it's www.happyflowerday.org and it tells people about the project and it shows lots of pictures
0: and can people support you donate uh, uh, that would be wonderful <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful
6: yeah yeah that would be wonderful
0: well patricia i could tell you just by looking, it, she has people you can't this is radio so you can't <laughs> see patricia but she's like this she has like a aura about her that is so bright thank and you. so i i want to say congratulations and thank you Thank for starting you. the Happy Flower Project and, you know, helping to recycle some of these flowers yeah. and we're going to the trash and now they bring cheer uh, to people who need a little
6: cheering up. I like to say I'm re-gifting them. I like what you said, recycling them, re-gifting them, reusing them or repurposing them. It would be a shame to waste them. Yes.
0: So thank you so much to Patricia Gallagher, founder of the Happy Flowers Project. Thank you so much for coming in and being on Flashpoint. Thank you, Cherry. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is FlashpointShow. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. And if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman once said, only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.